following sermon was delivered at the 1030 worship service at the United Methodist Church of Kent. Please enjoy. sermon this morning is a continuation of a sermon series entitled Old Words, New Life, Transformative Teachings from the Old Testament. One type of Old Testament story of which there are multiple examples is the story of God calling someone into some form of mission or service. A prime example is the story we heard this morning a moment ago about the prophet Isaiah. Like the various call stories in the Bible, this is a story that has much to say about how God may be at work in our lives. Let's be for a moment in the spirit of prayer. May the words of my mouth and meditations of our, our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Isaiah lived in the eighth century in Jerusalem. It is likely that he regularly went to the temple there where he would have seen the flow of daily temple worship. He would have seen the priests making sacrifices at the altar, the smoke of the sacrifice rising above the pillars of the temple. He would have seen choirs of Levites on either side of the altar playing instruments and singing hymns of praise to the Lord. Beyond the altar, at the top of a flight of steps, he would have seen the tall gold-plated golden doors, which in Solomon's temple led to the Holy of Holies, placed in the very center of the temple where it was thought that God especially dwelled. One day in the temple, Isaiah's thoughts and visions were suddenly carried beyond the forms of the daily ritual. We do not know exactly what happened, but somehow in the temple, Isaiah no longer saw the priests and the Levites and the golden doors, but he perceived in a gripping and overwhelming way the presence of God. He described his vision as follows. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. What Isaiah saw was itself, of course, very foreign to our experience. Isaiah was having an intense spiritual vision. But if we get past the specifics of what Isaiah described, we will find that his vision is actually a model for how God often works in people's lives. The first thing to note is that Isaiah had this vision while he was in the temple. He was in worship when he perceived in a profound way the presence of God, and he sensed God calling to him. This is a pattern that has continued through the centuries. Whenever people have deeply experienced the presence of God, or whenever people have heard God calling them in some direction in life, it is generally people who have been involved in church. It is out of the midst of worshiping God and growing spiritually in the community of the faithful, that people become able to sense a connection with God and to feel God leading them. Isaiah was in a position to have an encounter with God, 
because he was attentive to God in worship. We join in worship today in order that we likewise might know God's presence with us and might hear God's word to us. But then, as Isaiah sensed the real presence of God, he had a reaction that is also typical of at least some human experience. He felt unworthy to stand before God. The vision continues with Isaiah saying, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a person of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In Isaiah's day, people in Israel had a strong sense of the absolute holiness of God. And there was a common belief that if an impure sinner were to stand in the very presence of God, that sinner would be instantly vaporized in the wrath of the Almighty. Isaiah knew that he was a sinner. And so as he stood before this vision of the throne of God, he expected that he might be liquidated at any moment. As he said, I am lost. But the vision continues. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. The altar was the place of sacrifice offered to make atonement for sin. The fire was a symbol of the purifying fire of God's forgiveness. The seraph, a heavenly being attending the throne of God, flew to Isaiah and touched his lips with the live coal because Isaiah had said, I am a person of unclean lips. Isaiah was confessing that he did not always say the right things. But the flaming coal from the altar signified that God's forgiveness was taking away his sin. This is an image for what God ultimately does for each of us through Jesus Christ. We stand before God as sinners. We may deeply perceive that we are utterly unworthy of God. But Christ has made the sacrifice of atonement for our sin on the cross. And that mercy now comes to touch our lives so that through Christ, our guilt departs and our sin is blotted out. Like Isaiah, we are invited to receive that purifying fire of God's grace. Isaiah was thus reconciled to God through God's mercy, and he then heard God calling, whom shall I send and who will go? This particular call is somewhat unique in the scriptures in that it appears to be open-ended. Usually in the Bible, the Lord calls particular people quite directly, as Jesus, for example, called specific fishermen alongside the Sea of Galilee to follow him as disciples. But here, God simply says, who will go? Of course, in the vision, Isaiah was the only one standing there, so it's pretty apparent that the call was directed straight at him. But the way the call is phrased 
makes it pertinent for every age because many times God's call is open-ended. Jesus, for example, said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. All are invited. It is up to us to respond. But it is precisely here at the point of response that the Old Testament call stories become very interesting and quite relevant. One of the earliest call stories in the Bible is that of Moses, who encountered God speaking to him out of a mysteriously burning bush. In that encounter, God called Moses to go to Egypt to lead the people of Israel out of slavery. How did Moses respond? His first response was to ask for some theological clarification. He said, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God's basic response was, I am. And God spoke further to Moses about the name that the people were to use for God. But then Moses said, but look, they may not believe me or listen to me. Moses was arguing that he was not likely to have any effect. He would surely be unsuccessful. But God said to Moses that God would enable Moses to perform marvelous signs so that he would have an effect. Moses then said, Oh, my Lord, I have never been eloquent, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. In other words, Moses was saying, I don't have the talent for this. God replied that God would empower his speech and would teach him what to say. God had an answer for each of Moses' objections. Finally, Moses simply said, Oh Lord, please send somebody else. This entire sequence of Moses' statements to God could be called the great excuses. Moses elucidates the typical reasons that people often offer for why they cannot answer when they're being called to do something. I need more clarification. I'm not going to be successful. I don't have the talent for this. And finally, please send somebody else. Sometimes there may be genuine merit in some of these responses, but often we may be simply inclined to do what Moses was doing. Moses was trying to evade responsibility. But God did not let Moses off the hook. God said that God would send Moses' brother Aaron along with him to help him, especially with the public speaking part, but God expected Moses to get going to Egypt. Moses, in the end, accepted God's call, and he found a life of extraordinary meaning as he did so. Another classic Old Testament call story with features similar to the Moses story is the account of the call of Gideon. Gideon was hiding out from the Midianites who were oppressing the people of Israel at that time. He was threshing grain in a wine press in order to conceal it from the Midianites when God appeared to him and said, go and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. I hereby commission you. Gideon replied, how can I deliver Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my family. Here is another common excuse. 
I am nobody special. Who am I to take on some big call? But God made Gideon someone special. God empowered him and guided him, and Gideon finally was able to bring deliverance to the people from the bondage of foreign oppressors. There's an old story about Michelangelo, which is perhaps apocryphal, but which illustrates how people often think about themselves. It is said that Michelangelo was walking through a lot one day when he passed a particularly unattractive lump of marble. It had been tossed to one side. It was stained and misshapen. But Michelangelo said to his assistant, take that lump of marble to my studio. There is an angel in that marble, and I want to set it free. We tend to see the flaws and the imperfections in ourselves, but God sees our potential, who we can be as we are shaped by God's hand. Both Moses and Gideon were focused on their own shortcomings, but through God's transforming power, God can enable each one of us to be the people that God is leading us to be. But sometimes people shy away from God's call, not because they think too little of themselves, but because they think too little of the people God wants to help. Now, this was the case with Jonah, the beginning of whose story we heard in that other scripture reading uh, this morning. God called Jonah to go and preach to the city of Nineveh to call that city to repentance. Jonah did not want to go because Jonah did not like the people of Nineveh. They were foreigners and they actually had a history of bad behavior. Jonah did not care about them one bit. For Jonah to preach to the people of Nineveh would be like someone going to Russia today to preach to right-wing nationalists who've been calling for more bombing of Ukraine. Jonah did not want such people to experience God's mercy. So instead of heading east to preach to the city of Nineveh, Jonah got on a ship heading west to Tarshish, which was in Spain as far west in the known world as anyone could possibly go. But God did not let Jonah off the hook, nor did God give up on the people of Nineveh. In the story, God goes to enormous lengths, involving at one point a giant fish, to get Jonah on the right track with God, and finally, to bring the people of Nineveh to genuine repentance. In the face of human reluctance, God perseveres with grace. Today, God continues to spur us to reach out to others that we might be disinclined to include in order that we may show God's gracious love to all. Old Testament call stories are thus quite often stories about people seeking to avoid God's call for one reason or another. In that context, the story of Isaiah is rather unique. When God says, whom shall I send and who will go? Isaiah says, I'll go. 
He volunteers. Isaiah willingly answers the call, saying, here I am, send me. And he thus provides a very positive example for us. Isaiah stepped forth in commitment to God, even though answering God's call would be quite difficult. In every biblical call story, what God was calling people to do was almost always very challenging. Moses was called to confront the Pharaoh. Gideon was called to mount a resistance against foreign invaders with a tiny, completely outsized force, something akin to what Ukraine is doing today. Jonah was called to journey far in order to proclaim God's redeeming love to people he did not like. Isaiah was called to be a prophet, which meant to speak God's word, even when often that word would be unpopular. And that, of course, again, is why the, the flaming coal was touched to his lips, because God was empowering him to speak God's truth. It would be difficult at times to do that, and Isaiah lived during a particularly challenging period of history. He was a prophet during the reigns of four kings. Imagine adjusting to each different leadership. And that period included a massive invasion of the Holy Land by the Assyrian Empire. Tough times. Challenging calls continue in the Bible. The disciples were called to leave everything in order to follow Jesus. With every call, the task ahead appeared much larger than the ability of the person called to fulfill it. It's understandable that people were often reluctant to step out in commitment. Yet, in every case, God empowered people to carry out God's call. Our Methodist founder, John Wesley, reflecting about that kind of call, once wrote a covenant renewal service, which we do every year in an abbreviated format. We do it on the Sunday closest to New Year's Day. We'll actually do the covenant renewal service this year on New Year's Day itself, since this year, the 1st of January, lands on a Sunday. In the service, there's a point where Wesley says, Christ has many services to be done. Some are easy, others are difficult. Some bring honor, others bring reproach. Some are suitable to our natural inclinations and interests, others are contrary to both. In some we may please Christ and please ourselves, in others we cannot please Christ except by denying ourselves. Yet, the power to do all these things is assuredly given us in Christ, who strengthens us. Wesley most certainly had the many biblical call stories in mind when he wrote that statement. This year is a, a, a special year in our own Methodist story here in Kent. It is the 200th anniversary of the first circuit rider arriving in what was then known as Franklin Mills. The Methodist congregation here had actually formed several years before. It was in 1815 that a Methodist class meeting began. It was a small gathering of settlers who met regularly for prayer, Bible, store, Bible study, and, and simple worship. And we therefore consider 1815 to be the beginning of our church, 
we celebrated our bicentennial in 2015. The first preacher arrived in 1822. You can see the record of this on the history wall in our building, which is in the hallway that leads to the elevator that goes from the atrium and office level down to the Pearson Hall and gym level. On the far right end of the history wall is a picture of a young pastor that is not recognizable anymore. <laughs> on, on, on the far left end is the most interesting piece, a listing of every pastor who has ever served this congregation. Beginning in 1822, the earliest pastors were here for one year, or at the most two. They were circuit riders, traveling on horseback, moving from one small settlement to the next. It was a hard life, but the circuit riders were known for their rugged dedication to the call. There was a saying in those early days, whenever the weather was bad, that there's nobody out today except for crows and Methodist preachers. <laughs> Answering God's call has always involved rising to a challenge. But our church here is here today because people did answer that call. From the early settlers who started a church in Franklin Mills when no preacher was even around, to those faithful servants who kept carrying forth the gospel across the frontier. God continues to call people today to join in God's work, to proclaim God's grace, to share in God's compassion in our community and in our world. The call that Isaiah perceived resounds through the centuries. Whom shall I send and who will go? May we answer that call today in our lives, in our giving, in our service, in all that we do, so that along with Isaiah, we might say, here I am, send me. Let us pray. Eternal God, we give thanks that though we are flawed, very imperfect, though we stumble and sin, yet you reach out to us with wondrous grace poured out upon us through Jesus Christ. O Lord, inspire us that we might open our hearts to you in faith so that indeed we might truly receive that touch of your forgiveness, that purifying fire of your grace that would cleanse our hearts, enabling us to know that we are forgiven, our sin is blotted out, we are drawn into your presence. Enable us, O oh Lord, to recognize how you are here with us today, how you are here to lift us up, to guide our lives, to empower us to meet every challenge, to enable us to know ourselves, to be held in your grace, that we may journey, O oh Lord, with you in faith, and that we may join in your purposes in our time. We thank you, Lord, that you draw us together in the life of your church so that here in this fellowship we can grow in faith and we can reach out in ministry to the world. We do reach out to persons who are in times of particular need, remembering those who are ill or those who are dealing with surgeries. We pray especially this morning for Kathleen Munn, 
Dave Ginn and Morgan Claus, praying for your healing power. We pray also for those who are mourning. We lift up the family and friends of Gordon Seeholtz, giving you thanks, O Lord, for his many years of membership and service in the life of this church, and entrusting him, O Lord, into your everlasting arms. We pray for the comfort of your spirit to be with the family and the assurance of your everlasting promises. We give thanks for the broader church family in which we share. We lift up this morning our fellow United Methodists at the East Greenville United Methodist Church. We pray you would empower us as we seek to reach out in mission to the world, a world so full of trouble and hurt today. We see so many places of pain. We pray, continue to pray for the people of Ukraine dealing with that terrible war, praying, Lord, that your spirit would be with them to give them encouragement, strength, enabling them to find real hope in you. We also pray for the people of Russia, praying that your spirit would change hearts and lives, giving new perspective, enabling all people to see, O oh Lord, how you are calling us truly to live with one another, how you would lead us to a world of peace, a world in which all people might share fully in God's blessing, God's gifts, God's grace, and God's life. Lead us, Lord, today as we look to you with faith, as we recognize your call to us today, move us that we might respond in our own hearts and lives, saying with Isaiah, here I am, send me. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Thank you for listening to this edition of the United Methodist Church of Kent Sermon Podcast. For more information about the church, visit www.kentmethodist.org.